This is episode 69 of the Rising Man podcast with Jack Star Rubin. Those who flow as life flows know they need no other force. Good Rising family, welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. I'm your host and the creator of the show, Jetty Azuma, back with another power packed interview for you guys today. But first, some exciting announcements. I've got some dates for our next Rising Man events. You guys have heard me talk about these since the fall last year. And if you didn't get a chance to participate, here's your opportunity. Take out your calendars, mark the dates. We will be doing our next Elements three-day wilderness initiation for men, September 20th through the 22nd. This is the first time you guys are hearing about these dates. So if you want to get on board early, hit me up. We will be doing our next Compass event, which is a four-day vision fast with 12 weeks of connection and collaboration as a community. It's going to be happening October 25th through November 2nd. That's the date where we're actually out there in the wilderness. You guys will be fasting for four days and four nights by yourself. We will provide links and information as it becomes available. But for you early birds who know you want to be a part of this, hit me up directly. Don't wait. And if you can't wait until the fall to raise your game as a man, join us for our May Rising Man Fire Circle call Saturday, May 25th from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's virtual so everybody can make it. You can join as my special guest by sending me a direct message for the call link or sign up as a patron of the Rising Man podcast at patreon.com slash rising man. $33 a month gets you instant access to our private Facebook community, our Rising Man power team, calls with myself and some other amazing perks and rewards. So please do this. It really helps support the podcast and also gives you access to a community of men who are raising the bar for themselves and for each other in their lives. So don't miss out on that opportunity. All right. For today, my guest is none other than Jack Star Rubin. Jack works online and in person as a holistic guitar teacher and a musician coach. He also works as a chronic pain specialist, helping people heal and grow through the physical and emotional aspects of chronic issues. He has personally overcome debilitating chronic pain and is trained in the Alexander Technique, somatic experiencing, and mindful self-compassion. He also has a master's degree in mental health counseling. Jack hosts an online intentional practice circle for musicians of all skill levels and is also the host of the Holistic Musicianship Podcast. Jack is also one of my best buds in the world. We've known each other since college, way back at Ithaca College. A wonderful, wonderful human being and man, I'm glad to have him on the show today. In this episode, we talked about learning to listen to your inner authentic voice and take consistent steps towards bringing that vision into a reality, the power of vulnerability and the love we receive when we open up ourselves. We talked about how when there's something to learn, whatever the challenging circumstance that exists or arises, it's going to stick around until you realize and integrate the lesson that's being revealed to you. So better to face it than to keep avoiding it. We spoke about why we rely on identities or stories for validation instead of finding that validation internally within ourselves. We spoke about the connection between emotions and physical injuries or illnesses, as well as the physical breakdown that is often the result of holding stress and trauma for long periods of time. How can we become better listeners and catch the subtle messages we may be missing? And last but not least, trying to be grateful for the hardships that we have while we are in it. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Jack Star Rubin. All right, Rising Man family, got a really special guest on the show today, a brother of mine who I have known for over 10 years, a man by the name of Jack Star Rubin, 
who's currently in Corning, New York, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, bro? That's it. I'm getting ready for a trip down to Asheville, North Carolina to see if that may be a new home for us. But at this time, enjoying the beautiful springtime up here in Corning. Thanks for having me so much, JD. Uh, exciting, man. I haven't haven't gotten a chance to hear about that journey that's waiting for you yet. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll get a chance to dive in a little bit there. What, what is it about Asheville that's exciting for you? It really feels like a beautiful middle path space. I, I just lived in New York City for a long, long time. And it's a place that's much, much smaller than New York City, but there's still a tremendous vitality there. There's open-mindedness. There's beautiful mountains. There's much warmer weather than here. But it really has this vibrancy and aliveness and magic and a tremendous musicality and creativity that seems to flow through the city. But I've only spent one week there, so it's just a, a possibility and we'll see what happens when we get down there. Cool, man. Well, excited to hear about that, particularly with your background as, as a musician, as an Alexander practitioner, as, as a healer. And someone who's, in my opinion, is really crafting their own unique healing modality and uh, platform or process for creative expression. I'm really excited to, to capture your story and to get your take on what it means to really connect with our most innate gift and to find a way to do that. So mm. before we jump into that dialogue, let me ask you this question. What is the difference to you between a boy and a man? Mm. I think it's a beautiful question. And I think that day in and day out, I'm discovering the answer to that question more and more for myself. I think that the conditioning that I received in middle school and high school around what it is to be a man really was not my authentic truth about that. It was fed to me by the societal norms. And actually, a lot of it was really harmful to my being and not actually in support of my full expression as a man. You know, never being vulnerable, always being, always toughing it out always having to know the answers, having to just look a certain way, having to have this super body and just tremendously oriented around physical appearance. At least that was what was programmed into me. And now finding uh, more and more a sense of that if I can learn to listen more and more to my deeper authenticity, what I find is a a much softer expression of what it is to be a man, but actually a much more powerful expression of what it is to be a man than I ever knew possible back then. That through vulnerability, tremendous strength can be born and tremendous possibility can be born. And I think that that is what I'm realizing now is helping me step deeper and deeper into my own manhood from that place of boyishness to really accept my truer gifts and lean into them. Mm -hmm. And and there's a reason I asked this question because I don't think there is one singular definition or distinction between a boy and a man. There's a lot of commonalities that we've heard on the podcast so far, but I think it's actually even more useful for each man to give his own definition of what it means to be a man or, or who is the man that I'm choosing to be. So let me ask you that question. What, who, what is the man that you're choosing to be for yourself? Mm. Well, I think a lot of it is in learning to listen deeper and deeper to my own authentic voice and to take steps to bring that forth into reality. This vision, this mission that I know you talk a lot about on the show, to lean into the the scariness of that and the the edginess of that and the vulnerability of that and to take steps day in and day out to create that for myself. It feels like being a man... I used to think it was like, well, you're a man, you turn into a man at a certain point, but I'm realizing more and more that being a man is a day in and day out experience that I just have to keep showing up to from moment to moment. Mm, yeah. And in that sense, I think that it's it's much less of transforming from one into another, but more of an ongoing becoming. Similar to the the path of mastery, 
right? We, we hear that saying that the, the journey to mastery is, is never ending. It's, it's mm-hmm. about the journey. It's not about a destination. And I think it's very similar when it comes to what this new distinction and definition of manhood is. It's, it's an ongoing becoming and unfolding mm. of, of what that is and who we are. But there's also... I'm sorry, you have something to say about that? Uh, I was just say, which is very contrary to what my mind wants it to be. You know, it wants to just check the box. <laughs> All right, I'm a man now. Like, let's move along here. But you just have to keep showing up moment to moment. And that's hard and, and very difficult at times, but tremendously beautiful because the growth continues to keep happening and happening and happening. Yeah. And, and in contrast to that, you know, on the contrary side, like you were saying, there are certain life events, moments, scenarios, experiences that we have that I believe are indicative of passing into adulthood or manhood. A lot of what we've heard on this show from other men is that when you start to make the world or to make your life about not what the world can give to you, but what you can give to the world and making that transition, that that's a, that's an indicator of some level of maturity. I don't know if we can say that's when you become a man, Mm. but I believe that that, that's definitely indicative of a a shift that's taking place. And another one, uh, in a very mythical perspective, thinking of Joseph Campbell and some of these other philosophers, mythologists, that there's also an ordeal that every boy must go through on his journey to becoming a man. And I know that that's something that I see over and over and over again with the men that I know, the men that I speak to. There's always some sort of ordeal, a challenge, a great hardship that tests the individual to see what they're made of, to see what's really there beneath the surface. And I know you had a very unique journey with regards to your identity as a musician and your practice as a musician and what happened to you there. So I want you to share a bit about that story so that the listeners can have some context around what you went through and what that ordeal was like for you. Absolutely. I love music. It has been something, maybe the most powerful and profound thing in my entire life. And I started playing when I was like six, plus started playing drums. And then at eight years old, I started playing the guitar and it was my favorite thing in the world and the thing I wanted to do with my life. And right as I was about to transition into the next step to making that a reality when I was about 20 years old, I started to experience some extreme chronic wrist pain in my left wrist. And it would come for a little while. I'd sort of stop playing guitar for a bit. It would go away. I'd start playing guitar again. It would come back worse. And this kind of continued until I just constantly was always in excruciating pain. So this thing that I just loved more than anything in the world and thought was my purpose, thought was my mission, thought was what was meant for me, really was taken away from me. I just couldn't play any music without excruciating pain. It ceased to be fun. I tried everything I could to just push through the pain. I was playing shows in a band in New York and I'd like tie up my wrist <clears throat> with bandanas to to cut off the circulation to try to just play through it. I started to try to learn the guitar left-handed for a while to try to be able to shift something up, but the pain just persisted. And I went to physical therapists, chiropractors, acupuncturists, doctors, nobody was able to do anything about it. And I just fell into such a state of despair and hopelessness around it. Mm. Yeah, man. And at the time that you were going through that, we were living together back in New York City. So I had a front row seat to this whole process, man. And what really struck me about that time is is how, how painful it was, not just in a physical sense. It was obvious that you were in physical pain, but just the emotional pain was very visible, you know, and, the, and also just open dialogue with, between each other about how, how afraid and how, how fearful it was. Like, will I, will I not be able to do this thing that I've loved 
my whole life that had a lot of your identity tied to it. Because in, in our circle of, of friends, you were, you were the rock star, man. On the guitar, you were, you're a machine. And at that point, that wasn't available to you anymore. So I think in my perspective, you were faced with this deep question of, well, who am I? if not this. Absolutely. And beyond just the identity thing, there was so much that I had wrapped up in this being the rock star guy. I felt that it was the thing that people thought I was cool and amazing and desirable and sexy and worthy, really. And it was taken away. And I felt my whole just animal go into all the alarms started going off that like, what is the thing that people are going to love me for? This is the thing that people love me and that's taken away. And I really felt like I was going to perish with this being mm-hmm. taken away from me. It was a, an amazing experience, extremely intense experience to feel like I was just going to self-destruct with, without having this to keep me safe and protected. And what actually started to really, a, a major part of the beginning of that healing was realizing that I didn't die. Mm-hmm. And that all of my friends actually loved me almost even more when I was going through this because I actually saw them step up to be there for me and, and that they still cared about me even though I didn't have this anymore. And my brothers like you and Phil, uh, our friend who I know you've had on the show multiple times and so many others stepped up and really loved me in my experience. And, and that was mystifying to me at that time when I thought like nobody was going to love me anymore with, without this thing in my life. Yeah. So, so let's bring a, a word that I know you love to talk about into this part of the story, vulnerability. So in this context of a conversation of what it means to be a man and what you thought it was, perhaps up till this point, and seeing that when you were being more vulnerable, when you were sharing your pain, your hardships, your tears with your friends that loved you and really invited us into that process, it sounds like the response was even more support, even more love and attention because of what you needed in that moment. So what, what were your lessons about vulnerability at that particular time? Yeah, I think the word vulnerability was completely foreign to me. I, I wouldn't have used the, that word at that time, more just extremely horrified was more what I was experiencing. <laughs> but Yeah, I think I had been taught that vulnerability was weakness and I felt extremely weak. My body wasn't working for me. I didn't feel like I couldn't put any weight on my wrist. So I not only couldn't play the guitar, I couldn't do any pushups. I couldn't, I couldn't lift heavy things. I couldn't, I just felt frail after I had just been in a baseball player and a, in a state, I used to run track and cross country and had been quite adept at those things. And all of a sudden my body felt like it was failing me. So that was deeply vulnerable as well as this emotional state of being, which I had pretty much shut my emotions down for my entire middle school and high school and young adult life. And to all of a sudden feel the start, stuff start to rush to the surface, just had alarms going off in my brain on a constant basis. And I really didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to handle it. And I just tried to really shut everything down because I was afraid of sharing about these things with, with people for fear of mm-hmm. seeming weak. So that was, that was a real crash course in vulnerability and actually sharing emotions. But the tremendous healing came was that when I did start to share those things, rather than be shamed for having these emotions, which is what I had been trained would happen. You know, you pussy, get over it, this and that. That was like, I put out there on the schoolyard. Actually, people loved me even more and, you Mm -hmm. know, rose to the occasion to support me in what I was going through. And I was astounded to receive so much support by the, the people who I cared about. Right on, man. And yeah, I remember that time as well. And the word that comes to mind in revisiting this story is a surrender. 
that, you know, talking about this ordeal that, that Joseph Campbell speaks a lot about, you're brought to a moment of submission, almost like sur- surrendering and giving in to that which you cannot control. You had tried everything to overcome and override and navigate your way around this pain and nothing was working. You had to face off with it. And it, it's almost like that moment where we get brought to our knees by the circumstances. And whether it's chronic pain, because I've experienced that journey myself, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but whether it's chronic pain or emotional pain or a huge amount of financial debt or hardship that you've incurred or a broken heart from a relationship that you thought was going to really work out, whatever it is, we get brought to this point where we're either going to rise to the occasion and, and lean in further than we ever have before, or we're going to sink deeper and perhaps never come back. So mm. let's talk about what, what, what was that moment for you where you finally leaned in and started to turn the corner for yourself? Yeah, great question. I, I had a girlfriend at the time who, you know, she was very supportive to me during this time. But one night I was just complaining, complaining about what I was experiencing. It, it, this had gone on for so long. I'd been to so many medical professionals. They couldn't help me. And she kind of tried a tough love approach that evening. And she just looked me straight in the eyes and she said, Jack, there's something you need to learn here. And until you do, you're not going to get better. And mm. I think I got even more defensive in that moment, but it, it kind of stuck with me for the days to come. And I started to be like, okay, let me start to try to figure out what's going on here. And I started to really pay attention to what was going on with myself as I would play the guitar. Because if I would stop playing the guitar for a long period of time, the wrist pain went away. As soon as I started playing again, the wrist pain came right back. So I was like, there's something that I'm doing while I'm playing the guitar that's hurting me. And as I started to pay attention, I started to notice that I was holding my breath. I was like completely in lockdown mode when I would play the guitar and I couldn't do anything about it as I'd play. And then a couple of weeks later, I was watching a video of my favorite guitar player. And I noticed that I was holding my breath in exactly the same way that I, I was when I was playing the guitar. And so I was like, wow, there's, so, there's clearly some sort of psychosomatic thing going on here. Because I'm not even do I'm not even playing the guitar and I'm, my body is in total lockdown mode. And so mm-hmm. I started researching all these psychosomatic modalities and quickly came to this thing called the Alexander Technique, which I was like, I never heard of this before. How is this going to be helpful to me? Mm-hmm. But as I started to read about it, it everything that it was saying in the philosophy of it was completely clicking for it was like for me. And I was like, I experienced that, I experienced that, I experienced that. And as I started to explore the tools that it was offering things started to shift dramatically in what was going on for me. And the emotional stuff started to move through in a safer way. I started to learn new habits that were actually allowing me to play the instrument with a significantly less amount of physical tension patterns. And I relearned how to play the guitar in a completely different way. And the pain diminished until it went away completely. I started to experience music as fun again. And all of these things, because I had worked through so many physical and emotional things in the journey, started to, there was just a tremendous revolution across the board, psychophysically, emotionally, and spiritually. The music started to hit me on such a deeper level than I ever experienced ever before. And I loved music when I was young, but now I was having like spiritual experiences with the instrument. And yeah, and I just felt like, wow, okay, the guitar doesn't have to be the thing that everyone has to love me for anymore, that this is my identity and I need to put all this pressure on myself to be amazing and to be awesome and to be the rock star guy. And so I could just play. 
I had totally lost the ability to just play the instrument. I was putting so much pressure on myself. I was working the instrument. I was forcing the instrument, but I wasn't playing. And I started to be able to play again. And it was so joyous and childlike and glorious and exciting and completely revolutionized everything I've experienced. And I started to also learn how to help people and myself through chronic pain issues. And that was a completely life-changing experience as far as my mission and my dharma. And I'd also even, you know, a tremendous other gift of it was that it actually brought me to the woman that I fell in love with. She was in the Alexander community (laughs) as well. And I met her. And so I just, it was like one gift after another, after I had just been in tremendous despair, this curse of my life. And it blossomed into the greatest gift that has ever been given to me in many respects. And, and that's the great reminder that we, we can never foresee the gift while we're still sitting behind the pain, while we're still facing off with the challenge that's in front of us, the hardship that's directly in front of us. It's impossible to, per, to perceive or conceive of what the gifts or, or the, the value could be on the other side of that. And uh, there's so much in that. I mean, it's, it's such a wonderful story of, of triumph and, and overcoming and rising above your, the resistances. But I go back to that conversation you had with your girlfriend at the time, the tough love approach. Uh, and exactly what you needed to hear is what it sounded like, like that, to get your attention and say, hey, there's something here that you're not paying attention to. When it sounded like you were just looking for somebody to empathize with you and to, to, to join you in feeling, feeling bad for yourself. Because that's a very, it's a very natural place to go when we're depressed or down or things aren't going our way. But I, I've been there myself as well of being in that position where all you want to do is is sink a little bit deeper into that darkness and that that the self pity and the sympathy because nothing else seems to be working. But in that moment is when it's even more important to double down and say, okay, what am I missing? What am I not listening to here? And amazing how it unfolded into all the gifts that that presented. So, so let's unpack a few of these things a little bit more. So you, you started to pay more attention. You recognize you were holding all the stress and tension in your body, right? And you started to realize, oh, there's something I need to, to, to connect with, with my breath. There's a breath that's not happening here. So when you, when you started to go into Alexander training and discovery, what was your approach to that? What, what did that look like and what, what was your discovery process like? Yeah, well, what's interesting is with the Alexander Technique, typically it's recommended. I was getting all these books on the Alexander Technique and basically at the beginning of every book, they were like, it's really important that you actually get a teacher to teach this to you rather than just get the information from books because it's so physical and experiential and we have what they call faulty kinesthetic awareness. So we don't really know exactly what's going on with our bodies and it's helpful to have a teacher show show you sort of more optimal pathways and patterns. But I was, you know, just a young 20 year old without any money. And so I just was like, I'm just going to figure this out on my own. Uh, which actually was tremendous, a tremendous experience because it just really put the responsibility on me for the discovery process. I was mm-hmm. trying things and trying things and tr- playing with new ideas and experimenting. And I started making all sorts of connections. And I did ultimately go to take Alexander lessons. And ultimately, I went to school to become an Alexander teacher. And that was all extremely supportive to me. But I think this beginning process of taking charge in your own discovery p- process and being an experimenter and, and really starting to pay attention to what are, you, what are you noticing in your body? What are you doing mm-hmm. in your body, building your awareness of what's going on that is causing this and starting to get into the old uh, scientific method? And that mm-hmm. really was a complete shift of 
putting the responsibility on some other person to fix me and to actually take my own responsibility for it. And then these helpers, these teachers, Alexander teachers, and then I went on to work with somatic experiencing a little bit, which I ended up training in a little bit. And I also became a mental health counselor because I, met, I noticed there was so much emotional baggage involved as well. And But it was just one thing after another was helping me oh, this is the next piece. Oh, this is the next piece. Oh, this is the next piece. And even after the pain went away, there were all the still residual, there were all these residual other pieces where I can deepen into this even further and deepen even further and expand even more and learn even more. And so it's just following the threads of connections as far as what can help me, what can help me deepen and learn and grow and understand my body better and better. And at this point in time, I feel like I have a a much healthier relationship with my body and my heart and my emotions and my mind than I ever have before by a long shot. Right on, man. And another piece of your story that I remember distinctly is that almost, a, I guess, a parallel part of the journey was you were in the process of figuring out how to provide for yourself. Another part of the journey to be cut to, into adulthood, figuring out how we provide for ourselves and also what is our unique gift to the world. And I remember you were actively engaged with this process at the time that the pain came on. I remember you were playing as many shows as you could. And from my recollection, you were doing a lot of odd jobs just to make things work. Kind of the, the archetypal story of the musician trying to trying to hit it big. And, and then this whole breakdown occurred with the, with the pain and it started to reveal these these tools these skill sets for you that you began to accumulate so can you speak a little bit about that process just the unexpected journey into your unique gift that was brought about by your your hardship absolutely it really started out as a completely selfish thing it was like i want to get this guitar back like that's all i want to do like i want to <laughs> play the guitar let me f- fix my body and as i was doing it I had been through so much anguish, so much anguish over this experience. And this was helping. I was finding things that were helping. And then out of that was born just through my tremendous relief and excitement that this thing was given back to me after it had been taken away, a tremendous desire to want to be able to offer that to other people. That if there's people out there who are hurting and aren't able to do the things that they love in the world, I want to help them with that. If there's people in the world who want to create and express themselves musically or in some other way and aren't able to fully do that, whether it be because of physical pain or emotional struggles or fear or insecurities or self-worth stuff, I want to be able to help them with that. And I was already, I had already taught music lessons for a while, but I fell in love with teaching and helping other people find their gifts and express their gifts and just overcome any challenges and hardships and blocks interfering with their full expression, whether it be musically or otherwise. And Mm. it was amazing. I still love playing music and it's a wonderful thing in my life. And it's amazing because through my own process of learning about my body, my emotions and my music deeper and deeper, that helps me help other people more in their process, which helps me in my process more. And now there's this beautiful harmony, symbiotic relationship of teaching and helping others and supporting others and helping my own process with it. So it's no longer selfish. It's Mm. partly selfish because I keep growing in my own practice, but I get to help other people also. And it's 10 times more beautiful than it was when it was all about me. Yeah, man. Yeah. And and there's a couple of pieces to your story I could really relate to. Number one, what most people don't know about my about me is that when I started this podcast, I was in the middle of an 18-month journey with severe 
low back pain that started off acute and really became chronic. And, you know, substitute Jack and insert me into the story with my back and the, and the details of how that happened and how it unfolded. And it was pretty much the same thing, keeping me from doing the things that I loved, kept me from practicing martial arts and playing with my, I think at the time, my 18 month old, two year old son, it was, it was really interfering with my life mm. that I, that I was created, had created for myself and a lot of also the identity that I attached to it. You know, I was a very physical person and athlete my entire life. And suddenly I wasn't able to barely bend over and tie my shoes. And one of the things I learned in that process is that healing is multi-layered. It's, there's the physical body, but there's also the emotional body that's attached to it. And I remember that when you were visiting us and you were helping me out with one of our first, one of the first times we worked together on my back, there was so much emotion that had been tied to it that I'd been pushing down just so that I can get through from one day to the next and take care of my family and keep chugging along the road. But as soon as we broke that open and you gave me the space to lean on somebody for support, which was also a huge lesson of mine, not doing it all by myself and really being open to receiving from somebody, huge amount of tears and just an emotional release, man, to finally, finally feel supported. And there, there was, there was so much for me in that. And, and it was a really amazing journey in the way that you were able to help me recognize how I was holding tension in my body and all of the things that that was connected to. It's a really holistic journey to, to healing and resolving trauma on, on a physical level, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level. So that, that was such a beautiful process that I could really attest to. And, and then also the parallel part of finding and discovering our unique gifts through a great hardship. <laughs> you know, I, I had no interest or even awareness of men's work or rites of passage or initiation until I had the instinct, the impulse to leave New York City and an amazing community of friends, yourself included, to fi to find elders, to, to, to find a place where I could be guided into my manhood. And I, I had no reference point for that. It was just something I intuitively felt from the pain of not knowing what my life was about. Mm. And here I am, six, seven years later, my whole life right now is about initiating men into their purpose and, and into their manhood and their adulthood. And so I just wanted to share that as a testament to how we can substitute the details of a story, but really there are some, there are some archetypal things that we go through on our journey to becoming men or our journey into adulthood. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, that each of our stories may be different. And yet the way in which we come to be who we were meant to be and who we want to be in this world is also not that unique. Mm, beautifully said, beautifully said. And so much, in, so much in that. But one thing I would just say is, one, it was amazingly beautiful and an honor to get to work with you and, and support you in what you were going through with your back. And I'm so, so glad that you're feeling better. And this piece that you mentioned around the emotional stuff that was getting held in the body and that that was blocking things up from leading to this healing process, that has been the most important perhaps the most important revelation that I've made in working with chronic pain issues and perhaps for anyone out there listening is so often in the medical model, it's focus on the symptoms, focus on the symptoms, focus on the body, focus on the body. But from my experience, that is, it cannot be separated from what is the emotional components that's leading to this. There's something deeper going on that's leading to this. And it so often comes from putting pressure on ourselves, especially as men, putting so much pressure on ourselves to be a certain way, to get a certain thing, to look a certain way, to go, 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 push, 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 push. That, and also to not process the emotions that are coming up 
for us in the midst of that process, the day in and day out, that things get stuck in the body and held in the body and can't work themselves through and the body has no choice but to start to break down. And so mm-hmm. I think that's beautiful that you noticed that for yourself and that that was really helpful for you. And it has, talk about the stories being similar was completely similar to my own experience. And as a man, I was yeah. like, emotions, I don't want to deal with that. Let me just look at the body thing. But as soon as I started to let myself, and I didn't really have a chance in the matter, the emotions just kind of blasted themselves forth with how much I was going through. <laughs> I tried really hard to deny them for a really long time. But as soon as I started to let them come forth, and get unstuck, the healing started to happen and, and my life started to change dramatically for the better in a, lot of, mm. in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. And that's something that we have talked a lot about on the podcast is the ability to be vulnerable and also a context in which it's safe to be vulnerable, to begin revealing. to for, So for anybody who's listening who perhaps has never shared some of your most intimate pains and struggles and challenges with anybody except having that process in your own mind, it can seem like a lot. It can be very scary to think about saying those things out loud to someone, even somebody that you love and trust. So what are your thoughts about how to begin that journey and also where and when it's appropriate to to bear some of the deepest pains and challenges that we have? Mm, that's a beautiful question. And I, and I think that, as you mentioned earlier, the safe space is super important the, one of the major reasons we started shutting our emotions down in the first place, I think, is because we were on the blacktop and maybe in middle school and kids started calling each other names. And if you fell down and, and skinned your knee or something and some tears came, you got, you got uh, picked on or blasted by other people on the, on the schoolyard. And so it's like, oh, it's not safe for me to share these things or boys don't cry or get over it, suck it up, all these different things. I think the safe space is so important. If there's, if there's a group of people, you know, I know you talk a lot about men's circles can be really, really helpful place, a safe space to share in that kind of way, or just one other person who you can share with, who you trust, who you feel safe with. And perhaps even setting a context can be helpful. You know, I'm really going through something and I feel some fear about sharing this, but I think it could be really helpful to have someone to listen to me. Are you open to doing that for me? Could be helpful to create that safe space for yourself. And another piece that has really helped me is the ability to pause. Again, being aware of how we're doing in our bodies and how we're feeling in ourselves. And sometimes when we start to open up more vulnerably, it can be really overwhelming because there'll be all these sirens that start to go off like, what are you doing? Stop being vulnerable. This is bad. This is going to get you, you know, this is going to be dangerous. This is going to be really dangerous to, to share and open up in this way. And so actually taking some moments, oh, I need to just, I'm starting to get freaked out and overwhelmed. Let me just pause and breathe for a few moments and then continue if, if it feels safe at that point has really helped me because there have been times where things just got so overwhelming that I just shut down even more because the nervous system just goes overrides everything and shuts you down. So it can actually be really helpful in somatic experiencing. They call it titrating, where you just, you know, a little bit at a time. So you don't just, I'm going to just open, fl- blast open the floodgates and, and force everything out. That can be too much for us. And and tough for the nervous system to process all at once. So little bits at a time, if you're not used to it, is, is the most helpful, I, I think. For sure, man. And one of the things that I always remind myself is that 99 times out of 100, what I have to share with somebody, they can relate to, even if I think they have no idea what it feels like. But the only reason that I think I'm alone in that, or that I'm the only person who experiences that is because I haven't spoken about it. 
or shared about it with anybody else. Mm. And a lot of times my share of something I'm fearful about, let's, let's give an example. Let's say I'm fearful about um, not having enough money to pay my rent this month or anything financial related. Every, a lot of us can all relate to financial stresses. Certainly. That if I've never spoken about that, I, I don't think that anybody can relate to it. But as soon as I do, it gives us someone else the invitation to say, oh man, I'm, I'm going through the same thing or, or, or I was going through the same thing six months ago. I can, rem- I can remember what that feels like. I really see you. I really understand where you're coming from. And sometimes it, that's all that needs to happen is just to be seen and to know, ah, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one experiencing this. And it's, a, it's, it's not only do we get what we need in that exchange, but we also get the opportunity to give somebody else the invitation to go a little bit deeper, to be a little bit more vulnerable. And talking about building relationships, building connections with people, building a culture in a society where we don't hide out inside of our body and, and fill the container with all of this trauma and stress to the point where we have these physical breakdowns. That's, that's a late in the game type of symptom mm. is when you've got chronic pain as the result of being tense and stressed out over so much time, is it not? Absolutely. And, and the ability to learn to have to have the awareness so that you see what are the signals that come long before the chronic pain comes. It gets to chronic pain because the the message needs to get to the point of screaming at you before you actually start to listen, or at least that's what I feel like it's trying to do. It's screaming to try to be like, pay attention to me, which I disregarded mm-hmm. that message for as long as possible when I was dealing with my pain. But there are much subtler messages. And if we can get more and more adept at picking up on those messages, oh, there's like a little pressure in my chest right now. Let me listen into what's going on here. Oh, I'm feeling really afraid right now that I I don't have as much money as perhaps I'll need to to pay the rent this month. Okay, so let me, what can I do to tend to myself right now to, to support myself through this right now? Do I need to call a buddy right now? Do I need to pick up a few more hours or something to get, make some more money. Do I need to go take a break and cl- climb under the covers and throw a blanket under over my head for a little bit just to like help, help myself feel safe again? Anything really, but if being able to just give ourselves these little uh, bite-sized pieces of self-love and self-care in the midst of our process can just completely, completely change the experience of our body needing to break down in the long term. Mm. And not only our body, but yeah, our emotional be- state to break down in the long term. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, and I'm just reminded again that if that breakdown does happen, to also remember that there's something there for us to see. Mm. You know, if we sometimes we can't learn the lesson just by hearing it or by, by listening to it. You know, if there's somebody who's listening to this podcast and you're going through a similar experience just hearing another person's journey isn't going to necessarily shift the tables for you. We all have to experience what we're meant to experience so that we can fulfill our purpose and our mission in this life. At least that's what I believe. So to also have a practice of being grateful. I remember somebody said something similar to me when I was on my journey with my back about there's something for you to learn here. And I'd, I'd, I'd gone through a lot of personal development work up to this point that conceptually I could conceive of that. Yes, there's something for me to learn here. And I still was resisting it like, but damn, I want to be over this already because it's so uncomfortable. It hurts so much. But uh, there was a friend of mine that I, he was actually on the show. I think it was episode nine, Jeffrey Jordan. We talked about grit and resilience and to learning to be grateful for our hardships in the process of the hardship. It's easy to be grateful for what happened in our past that unfolded and led us to where we are now. Mm. But to be grateful for the hardship while we're in it is to me, 
like next level Zen mastery, <laughs> especially when there's tremendous pain involved. So was there, was there anything like that that you experienced along the way? Oh man. I think that's, I don't, I don't know if I was quite at that level of Zen mastery at that point in time. I remember just <laughs> sheer tremendous amounts of anger coursing through me at times. When I was going through that, I was much younger than I was like 21 years old when I was really in the thick of that. But it, my process mm. these days is much more trying to bring that forth. And it's hard. It's hard to be grateful when you're just horrified and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and keep looking for, you know, it's almost like I've done a lot of exploration and training around the mean self-talk that we have and the kind of Mm. riding ourselves, riding ourselves, this and that. And so I'll almost try to be grateful when I'm really in fear or being hard on myself or I'm not enoughness and like, I'll, I'll try to be grateful and then I'll almost get those voices will start to like mock me. And, it, and I'll be like dealing with that process of like, okay, now the mean voices are mocking the fact that I'm trying to be grateful. But then you just try to, you know, once again, as you said, surrender to the process and be like, this is where I'm at right now and just keep going. And what do I need to do now to get to the next bite-sized chunk? And I need to take a pause and a breather. And it's a constant state of refining and learning and deepening into the process. And I think a huge part of what's helped me more recently is is the practice of being kind to ourselves in our process. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I used to think driving myself, driving myself, driving myself was the way that I got past those fears or those hurdles in my life. But actually, the research has shown that actually people who are kinder to themselves in the process and seek more for a state of healthy striving rather than this perfectionistic drive, 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 actually end up much further than people who are just constantly berating themselves as not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough, keep going, keep going. So this has been like quite revolutionary for me in the past year and has really brought a a gentleness that Mm -hmm. has been uh, much needed into my life. Yeah, and as as somebody who has used not good enoughness or perfectionism as an unhealthy motivator, speaking about myself, I've also found that to be a really convenient place to hide out Mm. and to hide out from what I think is the more courageous path of really loving and accepting myself, accepting that I'm a human being, accepting that I am a sentient being on a journey to be my best self and that my best self is not, is not always going to be what I imagine I can be. Mm. And to, to practice that gentleness, it has taken a lot more courage and attention from me than it has to have that internal dialogue of this isn't good enough. Keep going. So, and, and to be fully transparent, that's still a journey that I'm very much on right now. It probably is going to be one of the journeys of my lifetime <laughs> is to be competing with that self-talk. Absolutely. But it's a practice like anything else, that path to mastery that you mentioned at the beginning is that as soon as you're on, the, as soon as you're aware of it, then you start the path of, of working with it. And just like playing the guitar when I started when I was young, I wasn't very good at it when I started playing, but then I continued with it and I continued with it and I got better little by little, day by day. And it is something that I think we can all get better at. It's not just like you're either kind to yourself or you're, you, you terrorize yourself and you're super hard on yourself. I think if we practice it in little chunks day by day, we get much, much better at it. And so mm-hmm. I look forward to getting better at it because it's it's really much more pleasant to be kind to myself than to be my own worst enemy. Awesome, man. So as, as we start to wrap up, before I ask you some closing questions, just tell us a little bit about where you've arrived to up to this point. Because I know that your journey of your gift and your offering to people is still unfolding. 
and it probably will continue to unfold. But you said a lot about creating a space and, and helping people find that source of authentic expression for healing, for creativity, for whatever wants to come through. So can you just say a little bit about what that is and what you're excited about helping people with? So my work has kind of a few different elements at this point in time. I focus, uh, I have sort of this overall umbrella called holistic musicianship right now, which is me working as a guitar instructor, as a musician coach, and also helping musicians through chronic pain issues. And I just launched a podcast recently called the Holistic Musicianship Podcast, actually last week. So that's yes. very exciting. Where It's yeah. interviews with musicians, some amazing musicians, and it's designed to help musicians through the biggest challenges that musicians come up against, and also helping them tap the deepest gifts that music has to offer us because it's such a ma magical and potent thing. And the other aspect is just, I do also work with people who are dealing with chronic pain issues who aren't actually musicians, but just have something they love in their life that they're not able to do because chronic pain has arisen for them. And it's such a passion of mine to be able to work with people to help re-give the gift that was given to me and pay that forward because that was an extremely, extremely challenging time, but led to so much beauty. And, and I like to be able to support other people in their, their journey with that. Yeah. And that's, that's another place where I can be a testament, man, is it's at some point I'll share this on a, on a Monday episode, but more about my journey through chronic pain and what was underneath all of that. Cause there was a lot to unpack. And one of the things that I had been suppressing was my creativity, my creative expression through music, through lyricism and, and through song. And you helped me discover that early on in our relationship when we were still living back in New York City, a couple of a uh, couple of youngster knuckleheads trying mm -hmm. to carve their way in the, you know, cutting our teeth in the big apple. And and then I started to suppress that mm. or, or to at least put it put it on the sidelines, way in the back burner when I when I started to become a provider and become more responsible, so to speak. And after working with you, that was something that there was room for again was to um, tap into my creativity. And so uh, that's a little bit of a teaser for some creative musical projects that are going to be coming forth in the next few months, including uh, re-releasing -re some of the music that you and I created back in New York City, I guess, about six years ago now. And I'm really glad you brought this up because I am so extremely excited about this. I think probably anybody out there who's listening very few anyway, know that Jetty actually on top of being as amazing as he is and all the rising man, everything and his coaching and his retreats and taking people out to the wilderness is an unbelievable lyricist and singer and rhymester. <laughs> and I had the tremendous privilege to be able to play on an album that he created. And, and I really am just jumping for joy over the fact that it seems like he may be sharing that music with some of you all out there. So. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Jack. I'm, I'm very humbled by that and also grateful that you helped me, helped me rediscover that source of, of creativity. And so, I, like I said, I can really testify to all of the work that you've done. I, I consider myself to be your, your pupil number one. <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like I was very much the guinea pig on which that a, lot of your, a lot of your gifts started to emerge. Mm -hmm. Honored to have been able to work with you like that. It was man. an honor. And what shifted for you in that regard? You know, what, what, what was able to come forth? I released a lot of stress and tension that I was holding on to around providing and being what, I, what my story of my narrative of responsibility was to be a husband, to be a father. And 
learned all over again how important it was for me to take care of myself, really. And, and I didn't expect that self-expression was going to be part of self-love for me, but that's what showed up. Mm. And because I, I get so lit up when I express myself in that way and I give myself the opportunity to write music and to perform and to sing and share a message through song is really what is really what lights me up. So that's what I discovered is how important that that is. And now, six years later, after we've had that first musical venture together, the, my, the message that I have to share is, has evolved and it seems really appropriate to start revisiting that now. So, Beautiful. More I'm very excited about it because I know <laughs> your talents are so much as a messenger in this world and mm. you're so unbelievable at, at sharing what's inside of you and what your and, and your voice with the world and that voice with through song I think uh it's already really powerful but I think through song I'm I'm just tremendously excited to see what else comes from that from that space because I know from my own experience how tremendously powerful music can be <laughs> awesome, my man. Thank you for that. And I uh, definitely look forward to sharing more of that with the whole Rising Man family out there. Great, man. This has been a really awesome conversation. It was great to revisit a lot of the story that we both got to live through together, parallel journeys. I want to capture a couple of last minute lightning style questions before we give you a chance to tell people how they can find you and work with you. So you ready for the lightning round? Lay it on me. <laughs> what is one thing that you've learned in your life that you wish you knew when you were 18 years old? To be kind to myself. That actually you will go farther if you're if you are able to be kind to yourself. Mm. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Uh, authenticity. Not not doing what everybody else or society thinks says that you're supposed to do or what we think society is telling us we're supposed to do and really learn how to listen to ourselves and what our internal voice is and what our heart is asking for and to follow our, follow that path instead. Mm. Beautiful, man. And how can those of us who are listening and are like, oh man, I want to know more about Jack and what he's doing. Where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Tell us where we can listen to the podcast because I'm really excited about that. Absolutely. The podcast can, well, my overall holistic musicianship website is just that www.holisticmusicianship.com. And to find the podcast, you can hit, put a slash podcast after that. And it's also on all the usual apps, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And so for my different musical offerings, you can find more information about that at holisticmusicianship.com, like I said. And also, if you're interested in just the the chronic pain side and, and aren't so into the music, musical aspects in your own life, the chronic pain stuff can be found at jackstarrubin.com slash chronic pain. And I'm sure you'll be able to find that on Jetty's show notes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, my man. We'll make sure we put it out there for everybody. And also I'll mention that I'm sure there's an opt-in for your holistic musicianship newsletter on your website for anyone who's a musician or an aspiring musician, even if you're just getting started. Jack has some tremendous tips that he puts out. Is it, is it a weekly newsletter or is it bi-weekly? A uh, weekly newsletter at this time, yeah. Weekly. It's amazing. So I really, really want to encourage anybody who has an interest in music to check that out because Jack really has a lot of unique wisdom and insight to offer. Thank you so much, Jetty. You got it, my brother. And thank you for taking the time to come on here, man. Wishing you the best with your journeys and your unfolding. And I look forward to coming on and being a guest on your podcast when, when the time yes, is right. Yes, very excited for that. Super honored to be a part of this, Jetty. What you're doing is unbelievable. I think on behalf of so many of the men out there who have expressed 
just to me the power that you bring to the world and, and the amazingness that you're offering. Thank you so, so much for sharing your gifts, brother. Mm. Thank you, man. Well, it's an honor to serve and honor to have you on the show, my brother. I love you, man. And look forward to catching up with you further down the road. Love you right back, Jetty. As you guys got to hear on this episode, Jack has been instrumental in my own healing process from physical chronic pain and also chronic stress and emotional pain that I was experiencing that I didn't know I was experiencing. And to hear his story and to have witnessed him through his process and the gifts that have unfolded from his own challenges and overcoming adversity, to me, it's really a testament to what we get to do in our lives is to face off with the challenges that are presented and to glean the wisdom that we get from them so that we can repurpose that and repackage it as a gift to other people who may be going through something similar or who can just resource our gifts as something that helps them on their path and on their journey. And Jack is a sterling example in that any of you guys who are interested in getting greater access to your creativity, especially if it's in the realm of music and musicianship, or if you're just dealing with some chronic pain, Jack is an amazing resource. I really encourage you guys to follow him, reach out to him, become a part of his intentional music community that meets online regularly. Everything that he's doing is solid gold. So make sure you guys follow this man. And while you're at it, make sure you guys mark your calendars for May 25th. We're going to have our next Rising Man Fire Circle call from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And would love for you to join us. So make sure you guys send me a message if it's your first time or go over to patreon.com slash rising man. Sign up at $33 a month to support the podcast and get access to our monthly calls, our private Facebook group, and all the other perks that go along with being on the inner fire circle. As always, please go to the risingmanpodcast.com for show notes and links and resources relevant to this conversation. And for each and every episode, my man Julian behind the scenes making that happen every week. Thanks, bro. Please subscribe and follow us on the podcast app of your choice whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, any of the other outlets that you're listening to us, please subscribe, follow us, leave a review, leave a comment, give us a five-star rating if you believe we deserve it because we're rising the ranks and it really helps other men to find the Rising Man podcast. Let us know. We love hearing from you guys. Love hearing the feedback. As always, check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcast. Rowan Tyne, my man, holding down the social media presence. Appreciate you, brother. Shout out to Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics, at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X on Instagram. He is the audio master, the wizard on the tables and on the dials and all the bells and whistles that make these episodes sound good. Thank you, bro, for all that you do. And last but not least, thank you, Mark Rose, our fire circle commander who is managing that space for us. Any of you guys who are going to be a part of the Rising Man Fire Circle, Mark Rose is going to be your man. So thank you, Mark, for stepping up and leading in that position. For the rest of us, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.